immortal actor Sean Bean. And you're listening to Trope Stormers, you bastards. We're back once again with the renegade master, Chris Jeeves. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not bad, Chief. How you doing, Jim Carlberg? I'm good, pal. What are we here for today? We're here to storm some tropes, buddy. That's what we do. All day, 24-7. Maybe storm not that. Tropes. We could do on the lockdown, I guess. Yeah, there's not a lot else going on in lockdown land. So we've been lot watching a lot of films box set yeah uh i wouldn't say like a huge amount more i've kind of been re-watching um arrested development it's five seasons i think the last one is going to be sort of ignored but it is it's fantastic uh i think it's some of the best comedy writing out there yeah i'm a big fan of job as a character i just think he's amazing <laughs> every scene he's in yeah like all the magic and stuff it's kind of I've got similar affection for it in the way that I do for Modern Family. I haven't really seen that. I know there's a rather attractive Colombian lady in it. Um, there is, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a lot more to it. It's got a sort of more sophisticated American humour, what you don't really get in, like, uh, King of Queens or uh, things of that in that pantheon. Oh, my God. Everybody loves Raymond. Oh, God, stop it. No one loves Raymond. You wouldn't invite Raymond round for dinner. You wouldn't go for a beer with Raymond. You'd avoid him at all costs. You'd cross the streets to get away from Raymond. Or at least I would. Social distance him. I would socially distance <laughs> When all of this ends, I would still socially distance from Raymond. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would have my own personal restraining order from Raymond. I think I might call the title of this episode Apologies to Ray Romano. <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway, let's let's talk about the living. We're here to talk about the dead, right? We are here to talk about the dead. So let's uh, let's get away from uh, those warm-blooded pulse beaters. So today we are segueing on nicely from 28 Days Later. Uh, if you haven't heard our little journey through that apocalypse, check it out. That's the last podcast we dropped. Uh, we're now moving on to uh, well, a very different kettle of zombie fish. Zombie I guess you'd fish? say zombie fish. There's no zombie animals in this film. I think I had a bit of a rant about zombie pigeons in the last podcast. In this film, I don't think there's any real transmission from uh, animal, human to animal, or vice versa. There's no like hellhounds or zombie pigeons or, I don't know, rage-infected monkeys, etc. It seems to be very human-centric. A big element of this, isn't it, that it's it's kind of a pastiche or a love letter, I suppose, to the, the zombie genre, and it just has fun with it. I mean... If you're talking about 28 Days Later, in, in a lot of ways, it falls into the same genre, but in other ways, it's just completely doesn't take it seriously. Like 28 Days Later is very straight-laced and played for played for straight-laced social commentary, whereas Zombieland is just a fun thrill ride with moments of disbelief suspension, but also just, a, you know, devil-may-care, hyper-reality type characters and a lot of meta-narrative as well. Well, the cat's out of the bag now with uh, with Zombieland. I was trying to be a bit more coy and cute about it. I seem to remember, like, when we started, we actually used to do a little bit of a build-up before doing a big reveal. We seem to have kind of temporarily given up on that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We should look at a brief synopsis of what this is about. Maybe we could explain what a trope is for the uninitiated. And then we can get into the meat of this, the flesh, and look at our first tropes. We have two tropes each. Um, an important part of this, looking at whether we score this in a certain way. Do you want to go through that? This is your, usually your job. <laughs> yeah, you're taking all my glory away here, man. Like, I'm, I'm just sort of sat here up in the, uh, well, the bleachers, as the Americans would call it. I'd say up in the stands, being a British man. Uh, yes, so we have our wholly unscientific, unpatented, made-up-as-we-go-along, fly-by-the-seat-of-our-pants scoring system. 
which is normally uh, a best of four. Um, so we both have two tropes that we'll explore and we will look to see whether we we will do a vote. Uh, the vote is final. Uh, there's no draws. Uh, we can do a sudden death. So then it'll be the best of five. We'll vote whether this is eutropian. We think that the tropes that featured have been used well and for the purposes of good in the story narrative arc and structure and character development. Or if it's a bit lazy, ham-fisted and shoehorned and it kind of just helps the plot rumble along and it's dystropian. Uh, that's that's them apples. That's how we roll. All opinions are entirely our own. You're free to disagree. You're wrong, but you know, you're know you free to. It's cool. You know, we don't take it personally. Sometimes we're wrong. It happens. Yeah, just not in the podcast. This is just wider life. I'm generally wrong, but when we're recording this, we're we're 100% correct on each of our calls. As you said last time, we're consistently inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So that absolves us of any blame. Please don't go keyboard warrior on us. We probably won't see it. And uh, even if we did see it, we'd probably be too lazy to reply. Yeah, that doesn't do do great justice for our uh, probably uh, interactive listenership. But yeah, I appreciate your honesty. And it doesn't really matter if we like the film or not. We found this out last week. We had a controversial call with uh, 28 Days Later, a, a film that we're really? both a fan of. Yeah, massive fan of. Um, absolutely love that film from uh, when I was younger. We did say also, I don't think there's some elements that maybe haven't dated so well, but on the whole, you know, I like the film. And uh, yeah, sometimes two strokes, they break your heart, you know? You only go looking for things that you didn't realise were there. And, you know, they, you have to make tough decisions and we have to we live and die by these decisions. It's not so much a podcast as a journey. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, to steal an Adam Buxtonism. It's a ramble chat with a lot of hot waffle and some random trivia thrown in for good measure. We're like a thinking man's Adam Buxton. Well, slow down there, okay? I don't want to get sued. Okay, right. Yeah, we allegedly uh, a thinking man's Adam Buxton. Yeah, because that would be Louis Theroux, surely. Both of which are absolute legends in my eyes um, of the podcasting and broadcasting world. So we've been we've been flinging this T word around, ye olde trope. Uh, we have explained it previously, but in case, uh, lovely listener, you've decided to join us on, I believe, episode nine. Welcome. 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 <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park reference, I like it. Um, self-referential. Uh, yes, these tropes that we bang on about. Uh, welcome to the podcast. What is a trope? Very simply put, uh, trope is a narrative device, a plot device, something that in some way, shape or form will aid the telling of a story, a film, a book, whatever media you choose. It'll normally be filled with tropes, which are quite often can be quite subtle, can be quite well used, intertwined with other elements. Or they could stick out like a sore thumb and they kind of make you go, oh, yeah, oh, that what that didn't work. You know, that wasn't smooth. One that we were talking about before before the tape was rolling. And I realized I'm, I think I've said tape is rolling about 100 times now. Um, it really does date me, doesn't it? You know, I'm thinking like cassette and video here and I mean, some of our listenership might not even know what that is. I got love for you if you were born in the 80s. Sweet, you brought it right back there. I like that. Um, that's, that's a noughties reference. So, uh, is, but it's a noughties reference that taps into sort of eighties culture. Proper naughty. No way. Yeah. So we were talking previously. We were spitballing a few tropes um, that we could use as an example, and I sort of landed on one of my favourites, which is uh, sort of Star Trek. Don't wear red on an away mission. Like the expendable character, I believe you uh, you probably you rightly titled it. Yeah, the red, sh- the red shirt to the red shorthand. Shirt. 
Yeah, if you're accompanying Shatner down to a planet for him to sort of fight some weird alien in a gladiatorial arena or make off with a blue woman, make sure you don't wear red. Like, I don't know, just steal someone else's uniform, whatever it takes. Pull a sickie, tell them you've got the shits. I don't know, just don't don't wear red on the away mission. That's really well done in uh, the Star Trek movie where there's this guy who's pumping himself up. He's really, like, shaking in his chair, ready to go, and they parachute into this platform on a planet um and he just instantly ends up in this turbine um <laughs> gets absolutely shredded <laughs> yeah leaving sulu and uh kirk to to complete the rest of the mission have we talked about this before when uh in austin powers you've got that whole cutaway scene where they go on about the henchman who dies and they like delve into his backstory and his widow and everything like that to smitty yeah they just sort of he's just another henchman who sort of gets killed in in, you know as they do uh, endless uh, disposable james bond henchmen not even henchmen they're like foot soldiers i suppose yeah on the the villainous side of things it's that's the the villainous red shirt i guess then to kick us off brief synopsis what's this film about yeah i was trying to pin this as like what is the sort of plot of this it's it's fairly sort of chronological in uh in how it happens you get some like references to what's gone on in the past and then we're kind of just watching it almost uh in a linear sort of progression i think it starts with some guy eats uh, a burger a like gas station that's infected and then somehow a virus sort of spreads but basically turns everyone into flesh-eating zombies and uh it obliterates the planet and we sort of pick it up following a sort of dweeby loner who somehow survived the apocalypse? I quite like. It. I've seen this referred to as apocalypse how, Ooh. because you're not you're not really told. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a bonus trope for you. You're not really told what what happens. You can just kind of piece it and go along with what the the characters say. Um, it's subverted in this film quite a bit. You, you're given a, like a found footage uh, sequence at the start where some luckless person who seems to be filming in a Cloverfield style for some reason, uh, just gets mauled by a zombie outside the white house. So, you know, it's established we're set in America, uh, post apocalypse. And then we quickly join, uh, the oddly named Columbus as a character. Well, the names all come because they, as Tallahassee starts that, cause he doesn't want get them getting too close. Like there's no point building an attachment in his eyes because, well, as we'll get into everything, his whole world, his main attachment has been taken away from him. And I think he sees it as not getting too close to anyone in a way of distancing by not knowing their real name. So you have Columbus as, uh, well, Jesse Eisenberg. There's a hell yes. of a cast this, like Oscar winners. and uh... Yeah, it's an, all, it's an all-star cast. Like uh, All of them have been uh, Oscar nominated. Woody Harrelson for The People vs. Larry Flint and The Messenger. Jesse Eisenberg for Social Network, Emma Stone, Birdman and La La Land, and Abigail Breslin for Little Miss Sunshine. So, yeah, it's an absolute barnstorming cast and only really four, uh, four and a half characters for half being and it, one of the greatest cameos of all time. But we might get into that a little bit later. Yeah, we've got to, we've got to get, give a little bit of sizzle. Got to, got to build up to that one. In terms of sort of general story, we pick it up with this zombie landscape and it's kind of a road trip movie road trip buddy movie 
suicide mission. You could almost boil it down to one man's mission to find the last Twinkie on Earth. <laughs> yeah, that's a very simplistic MacGuffin yeah. for uh, Tallahassee. Yeah, that's that's very sort of you know wide full widescreen. Take a, a lot of steps back and look at it from a big distance through a long lens. I like that. I like that. And and Columbus is kind of he's he's developed this series of rules. Yeah, I feel they're like the commandments, aren't they? Like a series of rules that he's come up with to keep himself alive, basically. And it sort of plays into his obsessive, compulsive, nerdy, sort of reclusive nature. It's basically what's kept him alive. They go go in a slightly odd order and a priority, I think. Uh, one, the first one's cardio. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and it's a bit of fat shaming, you know, the fatties died first is one of the lines. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's not dwelled upon. Um, so there's this sequence where it cuts away. There's a bit of meta narrative. You, you see this different narrative of this, the, the various victims uh, throughout the film. Uh, and it's uh, more portly gentleman uh, just gets taken down uh, who doesn't have sufficient cardiovascular health. And uh, yeah. Um, that that gets scribbled down as the first one. The next next one is seatbelts, uh, which is a bit of an odd order because yeah, fair enough, you got to have a fitness, but surely like you'd find shelter or something would be the next one or somewhere you can be defendable. I guess it's sort of maybe as the, the rules came along as like they became sort of necessary or thought of. I think mean, I think the rag the sort of random nature of them just adds to the humour as well. Sort of keeps keeps the joke sort of quite funny in that it's it they don't even play out in order or you don't even find out what they are but i think at one point he hits like rule 32 or something the whole thing is kind of subverting your expectations of a, a zombie film you know it's got a sense of awareness kind of references other classic zombie films it was always it was massively influenced by other sort of similarly subversive comedy uh zombie films like Shaun of the dead um i think there's the uh, director admitted that he was massively influenced by that and 28 Days Later as well when it came to the making of the film. And the zombies in this are, are, are much more in the sort of vein of the Shaun of the Dead zombies rather than the sort of 28 Days Later zombies. They're quite frenetic and, and manic, and but they, they do look like your archetypal classic rotting flesh, white-coloured eyes, dormant expression on their faces rather than the kind of psycho gritted teeth and spewing blood and uh oh no there, there is quite a bit of spewing blood actually um there's quite a lot of gore in this yeah i was just gonna say have you seen the sequel double tap i haven't the only thing i've seen of it is the columbia title sequence which is superb we'll, we'll tweet it um where the the lady who holds the torch, who's the, the, the embodiment of America, Columbia, um, she stands still and then two zombies run up to her and she just beats them away with her like flaming torch. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. No, it's 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 actually a very good sequel. Um I I was a little had a bit of trepidation going into it because you know, often sequels can be like the awful. It's rare that they sort of maintain the bar, but it is really good. And there's some really interesting zombie evolution through that, which I won't spoil for you, but uh, the zombies aren't quite the same. There's a Shaun of the Dead moment in it as well, where you know the bit in Shaun of the Dead where they're sneaking through the back fences and they basically bump into their mirror selves. Oh, yes, that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. 
um that kind of happens as well well it does happen in zombie land because you don't meet a lot of other survivors there's like uh other, other than the uh excellent cameo that you get the supreme cameo best cameo since judy dench in shakespeare in love that'll be the one yeah where she gets <laughs> all of about 15 minutes screen time i don't think it's even that is it i think it was clocked at like 18 minutes of screen time and she won in the uh oscar for it which is a phenomenal achievement. I mean, she's good in it. Don't get me wrong. She's great. That almost feels like a bit of a swindle. That's money for old rope, that. <laughs> she's just playing a grumpy old woman. She's great at that. She wasn't, that. Even char- she wasn't even in character. It's time for Jim's first trip. If you don't mind, sir, I will start. We said before we alluded to the fact that it's a, like a buddy movie, a uh, buddy road trip. It doesn't start out that way. It starts out with Columbus as a loner, but he meets... Uh, a very different contrasting character in Tallahassee who's just relentlessly capable, but he doesn't seem very bright, actually. If we, t- we focus on him, he's this survivor. He's the, basically a hero, but an action hero. He does all these incredible things, feats of daring do. He's basically a vehicle for some of the visual standout moments in the film. So he turns up with two chainsaws. One's not good enough. Uh, and a welding mask for some reason. Uh, I don't see what protection that would really offer, but, you know, he flips it up, Tony Stark style, you have the two chainsaws fire up. It's to counteract the splatter. I mean, two chainsaws is going to make a lot of mess. And although it's not really touched on in this film as to what the transmission is, I'm guessing it's being bitten, but uh, considering the amount of gore, there seems to be very little room for blood contamination being a thing. Uh, Yeah, Amber Heard appears in this film, and I think she just... Doesn't she just change? She's been like bitten by she thinks a homeless guy just sort of like randomly accosted her, and she it's kind of at the sort of very beginning of I guess when this whole thing is kicking off zombie apocalypse wise. So no one really knows about it, and she sort of throws herself into uh, Jesse Eisenberg's world at that point. But she's quite yeah short lived, and apparently Emma Stone was meant to play that role until uh, they started, we were just about to start shooting and they realised she's actually quite a badass. As, as evidenced by many other films that she's in. Yeah, so you've got the contrast, you've got Tallahassee as your, your action and, you know, he, he utilises multiple things. He, he loves holding a shotgun and co- reloading it in a, a cool fashion, a la Terminator 2. I was going to uh, say, like, I haven't seen uh, shotgun reloading like that since that terminator 2 not just that he just utilizes anything as a weapon so you have the banjo moment where i don't know how he doesn't get infected by that because the the ketchup the, the sauce is is spilt everywhere yeah he also learned to play the banjo just for that scene as well Woody, woody's got range i think what? also he uh, uses a pair of gardens uh, shears at one point to decapitate a zombie as well unbelievable so yeah we'll, we'll, we'll come to it but there's um there's a lot of meta narrative and there's the the zombie kill of the week where so the, the the range of deaths, much like Brain Dead, is very very diverse. Yeah, there's there's also there's one like a piano getting dropped on a zombie, which was uh, the official zombie killer for a week, I think, in the film. There's a lot of fairground based death. Uh, it's quite a simple one where Tallahassee just drives past and opens the car door to take one out. Yeah, so that's good evidence. He just he just utilizes the situation how he sees fit. Um, and and at one point he has like two knives on his back as well as the the shotgun. He wears a cowboy hat throughout, so he's got that kind of gunslinger vibe. Man loves a Twinkie. Which is something we don't get over here. It's a very American product. Uh, yeah. I've never had one. No, I've never had one either. I think it's just like 
I think there's a large cream-filled sort of pastry element. I'm not really sure. Maybe our friends over the pond will will res- it will resonate a bit more this film because the, you know the holy grail of sweet snacks. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and there's also the two uh, Little Rock and Wichita are on a sort of weird road trip to get to Pacific Playlands. That's their sort of Twinkie, if you will, which is just seems like an absolute suicide mission. But I guess it's to try and try and recapture a lost innocence of childhood that, you know, in a world filled with zombies is very much lacking. OK, that's fair enough. And coming back to Columbus, in contrast, so we've got our action hero and then we've we've got our action survivor because he's involved in plenty of action. Uh, but he, he always escapes. You know, it's not he's not got the, the pizzazz of uh, Tallahassee and the confidence to, you know, he's not firing up chainsaws. He's usually running away. I mean, Harrison Ford does this quite well in other films. Um, he he has he has incredible facial acting where he looks like he's about to shit his pants uh, through fear, but he's doing he's doing all these fantastic action sequences. It's it's a it's a it's a very much a skill of his. And Jesse Eisenberg, he conveys the you know the look. He conveys a lot of look throughout the film. And even though he's got these rules he follows. He kind of fills them in as he escapes these situations narrowly. He doesn't make killing killing zombies high art in the way Tallahassee sort of disposes it with um with a sort of panache and a plomb. It's kind of more functional with uh, Columbus. It's more like survival killing rather than killing for sport. So when when that comes to the 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 buddy, it's lots of buddy cop movies where there's contrasting characters. Like what Martin Lawrence and uh, Will Smith. Tallahassee's. You're more capable, but he's quite a humorous character. The neurotic nature of Jesse Eisenberg is a is a, a really effective contrast, I think. We'll have to factor that into the, the trope storming later on. Well, looks like it's time for Chris's first trope. The breaking of the fourth wall is what I'm going to talk about. The kind of meta-narrative that goes on, as alluded to before, with the, uh, the, the, the rules that are set. Well, yeah, um, and in a sort of wider sense of like how the fourth wall is broken, so kind of engaging the audience, like you say, in a sort of another meta-narrative kind of way, which is predominant. well, it's solely done through the uh, character of Columbus. So uh, Jesse Eisenberg sort of narrates over the top for a lot of it, um, but it doesn't have like direct bearing on a lot of what's going on at the time. It sort of adds... To sort of around it it's never like like a ferris bueller style looking down the barrel of the camera and sort of engaging with the audience in that way when no other character seems to do it yeah so it's kind of weird how it's kind of centered around purely Columbus. i guess it would get very messy if all of them or well, there's only four characters so i guess you could do it from like different viewpoints but i think it would just i think it would lose like it would be too overplayed I think you just need it. And I think the fact that it's played by the straight man and that he is such a sort of straight character, you know, it's almost like his squareness is in itself a, a sort of a funny thing. And it'd be funnier to sort of, it's funnier like following him and his perspective than it would be to just follow Tallahassee's. The contrast, I think, if Tallahassee, if you just followed Tallahassee with his mindset, it would just kind of be a very sort of mindless, albeit quite funny, in places, killing spree, with very little sort of uh, 
to underpin it. I think something we have did we mention before that this was intended to be a TV series? I think we touched on it. Yeah. So yeah, you. you I think the idea initially was to focus on com- completely different characters week by week, but you've got this amalgamated uh, group of characters instead. Maybe it might be be a good idea to give some uh, separate examples. So you mentioned Ferris Bueller. Yep. And I think what Ferris Bueller it gets away with it because he's a very charming character. And the film is like, I mean, the type, the names of the film, it, it's all based around him. It's very like centered around him in all ways. Very similarly, uh, with your smart ass character, we've got Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that again is a very sort of tongue in cheek, and he does like engage the camera, uh, talk direct to camera. Does he ever talk to the camera when he's not got the mask on? I can't really think off the top of my head, but in my mind, he only ever really breaks the fourth wall when he's got the mask on as Deadpool. I think you're right, because obviously it's, it's derived from a comic book in which he was very, like, he would do strange things like cross from panels, one panel to the other. Um, it, like, he'd, he'd be caught between panels rather than just separated like the other characters would. And, you know, he never leaves his costume, really, in, in the comics. He's He's just this... He's he's actually a, a, a parody of a, a DC character called um, called Deathstroke. I don't know whether Stroke is a is a take on what you do in a swimming pool, but uh, yeah, the premise of Deadpool is that he's just this absolutely insane character who could just break the fourth wall and becomes this this weird hyper reality where anything can happen really. So um, in that sense, the, the the fourth wall is is used to the nth degree. It's like pushed as far as it can possibly be. Definitely, definitely. For like absurdity's sake, almost. How is how is the we've covered how it's mainly featured Columbus who breaks the fourth wall. How how is it done? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of done as a visual element to it, which sort of links in with the uh, the commandments uh, or his sort of set of rules that you were talking about before. Where when he talks about the rules, they're sort of put up in a large sort of typeface, and uh, they sort of have an interactive element to them where they sort of visually represent the rule. For example, um, the cardio one pulses like a heart beat, uh, and the uh, wearing seatbelts one gets flung forward and shatters in the way that uh, someone going through a windscreen of a car, for example. It's very graphic, that that scene where they introduce it. Uh, <laughs> it's quite arresting to... Well, yeah, it's, it's the way the head sort of sickeningly fuds on the tarmac and then sort of scrapes forward with a little bit of blood coming from it. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty visceral. So I guess you've got like a, almost a visual representation with the sort of meta narrative or narration as well. And the way he sort of talks around what's going on and sort of almost foreshadows what's going to happen uh, or what has happened in the past. Because that's done in a very obvious way sometimes. Cardio is going to come into it. The, the seatbelt example results in the death where one of the zombies doesn't have a seatbelt on. Jesse Eisenberg's character takes Columbus, takes advantage of that. Yeah, they kind of, it is kind of signposting and foreshadowing. The reason that they raise this is because it's going to somehow crop up later down the line. But I think it's done in such an obvious way. It's almost drawing attention to the sort of idea of foreshadowing. It's that subversion, really, of the horror genre in a way where it's, uh they do they allude to doing something or they're about to do something and you know it's a bad idea or or this is the reverse these are sort of the ways to stay alive and these are good ideas but you obviously know it's going to sort of crop up in a scenario 
because horror always have some obvious tropes you know the, the dramatic irony element where you you know you can see the murderer or antagonist walking in the shadows and then you've got this main character doing something very normal and that usually ends up in a grisly death it, it subverts the tropes for definite for definite and they're, they're quite obvious quite deliberately i was just thinking yeah like other sort of fourth wall examples like uh another one that's very much in the ferris bueller mold i guess would be wayne's world like straight down the camera playing it for laughs I mean, I think Garth, Garth knows about the camera, but nobody else seems to. I'm trying to think, there's there's definitely an example where uh, someone breaks the fourth wall and then someone else, like, it's in a TV show, I think, where there's a character, one of the main characters, like, talks, breaks the fourth wall and does these little monologues and stuff. And then one of the other characters is like, who the hell are you talking to? And he's like, what, you, you, you can hear that? And he's like, yeah, what, what are you doing? This is weird. I can't remember what it's in. It'll come to me, and this this doesn't make for a very good edit, so it'll probably get uh, cut. <laughs> <laughs> it'll come to me in the middle of the night or something stupid like that. I'll sit bolt upright in bed and be like, ah, it was that. And uh, flea bag. <laughs> the, 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 bollocks. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit with the vicar, the priest, uh, where he's like, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? Ah, oh, Jim, you let me go for far too long there. You know, entrapment. You could have you could be put me out of my misery far sooner than you did. Okay, so fourth wall. Obviously, there's a lot of films that use it, and and but in different ways. And Zombieland is really as a, as a love letter to to the genre, poking fun at it at the same time. Um, arguably, it works very well. Oh, well, that's that's a matter for us to decide later on, though. I think you're getting ahead of yourself, there, Chief. Let's okay. not be, let's not be passing judgment just yet. Sorry, uh, maintain objectivity at all times. <laughs> Don't slide into subjectivity. One thing I wanted to say about apocalyptic logistics. Right, okay. This this sounds uh, practical. I mean, last time we inferred, how would you survive in the apocalypse? And we got oh, examples of where they were collecting water, rainwater. They were looking at what they could eat. You'd have to find a shop or whatever you could, whatever you could find. And 28 days later. Even in that, there's a shop which pretty stocked to the to the rafters, and they go on a supermarket sweep, basically fill the trolleys. But prior to that, very very difficult to travel around. There's a lot of walking. There's one taxi in it that, that works, and it, it almost breaks down at one point. In this this movie, they just seem to just get in cars constantly. Uh, food's there. Obviously, the Twinkies are the elusive example. Yeah. Electricity and power is working in the theme park. You wouldn't have maintained these machines. They have a point where they just watch DVDs in in uh, the really great cameos mansion. Where does he source these chainsaws? Where does he get a banjo from? They seem to collect a lot of just items, almost like they've just pulled it out of their their backsides like a cartoon character. I see what I see what you mean, like a Mary Poppins bag of like just random items to sort of pull out at you know, your whimsy just for sort of fun and jokes. There is an a bountyless like supply of cars, it seems, and weapons. There's sometimes you just happen upon a Hummer that's filled with weapons, as Tallahassee and uh Columbus do. Uh, yeah, there's no, they don't really eat at any point. Uh, there is a little bit about like going into toilets or bathroom stalls, as the Americans call it, um, and the inherent danger with uh, going for a shit in uh, Zombieland. True, yeah, and that's uh, that plays out with the the it style clown that appears um, a bit later on. Um, but again, the meta narratives there as well, isn't it? Because you just see this other 
character who's the supply teacher from School of Rock. I don't know his name. <laughs> oh, is he the sort of nerdy one in the petrol station cutaway who uh, finds the diamond ring or the, the fake ring? Yeah. The- I guess, yeah, logistics-wise as well, there's there's also not a lot of, like, none of them really have any sort of plan. I know it's going finding a Twinkie and going to Pacific uh, Playlands, but sort of generally they're all sort of, like, drifting through quite like listless aimlessly get cobbled together in the end there's, there's sort of no real end game to what any of them are really doing once he's got the tweaky where does he go from here uh once they get to pacific playlands where do you go from there i mean columbus i don't even think has a plan it's basically just pure survival with him and he, he does it in very haphazard ways you know he, he doesn't seem very prepared he, and i was putting these rules together and i suppose that's one of the jokes is that he's got all these rules but uh he, he seems to survive by the skin of his teeth each time yeah i guess it's kind of like he's the person you'd expect to probably die first during in the uh zombie apocalypse but has somehow lasted this long against all the odds he's not a three-dayer like you suggested uh last time <laughs> Three three days will be a good innings in my uh, in my book. Um, as I look around me, because we did play a quick round of uh, what are you taking on the zombie apocalypse as your weapon, I'm afraid my uh, my situation hasn't really improved because I'm in the same room I was in last time. The only addition at the moment is a potted plant, and the pot itself is is quite a hefty piece of earthenware, so it would definitely be a good comedy like whack over the head or dropped from great height. But otherwise, um, yeah, pretty stumped if we uh, had to pick up tools and go about it, have at if, it. If the zombies had chronic hay fever, it may come in handy, but that's that's seldom referred to in the films or any film. I've got a bottle, actually. I've got, like, you could break that, use the sharp edges to uh, stab away. It's quite visceral, though, isn't it? Like, that's quite, you know, that's, cl- that's close quarters for a start. And also, you, you, you're going to have to get in a stabby, gougy scenario. And, you know, I'd rather be in a sort of more further away, wacky, twatty sort of swing for them, sort of. I think a cricket bat or a baseball bat would be my preferred. I mean, a gun, ultimately. But, um, yeah, something with good uh, reach. I've got a chair, but it's a bit cumbersome. I, th- I think my the chair I'm sitting on is one of the... Um, prototype chairs from many centuries ago and a stiff breeze would take it out so i don't know if one across the teeth would really have much impact on a zombie i mean i am on uh, upstairs so i think my rarely dated imac would kill somebody if dropped from a first floor straight onto them okay so you've just basically got to never never go to the ground floor ever yeah the ground floor is like off limits i'm gonna have to sort of find some random objects block off the stairwell and just live on the first floor become like a shit spider-man really really lame spider-man the the chances are slim i would argue yeah three days is looking good like looking optimistic at this stage survival they're quite fortunate they also screw screw each other over (laughs) i mean there's two screw there's two screw overs so the, the logistics of that like they get dumped in the middle of nowhere with like losing all their weapons and their vehicle but it doesn't really seem to slow things down an awful lot think about in like in other films that sort of thing could really derail things massively like if the taxi had uh you know I don't know, been hijacked or something in t- from 28 days later. Now, Jim's second trope. 
now we've we've been building up to this all the way through is the excellent the the greatest cameo arguably that can can happen uh and it's it's bill murray showing up as himself that was man- apparently that was managed to keep very secret before the re- release of the film didn't show off on the posters i think that's a well-kept secret throughout the making of the film what's interesting is they go to they stumble upon his mansion in Beverly Hills. He is, you know, a subversion, really. He's disguised himself as a zombie. It, it seems like the zombies can be fooled into thinking that other people are zombies. And th- this is shown in Shaun of the Dead as well, isn't it? Where they kind of act in a shambling way, pretending to be zombies. So it's, it's, yeah, a, like, it's like an unwritten rule that zombies don't attack zombies. They, they think, I think, they think he's a zombie initially. And he's wearing a wig at the time, a ridiculous wig. And the, the, the wig comes off and then goes back on again played for laughs in the sense that they have a good time in the the mansion i've just watched dvds and just hang out with bill murray and it's it's supposed to be like treated as the characters think it's the best thing in the world as well along with the audience but he comes to a sticky end doesn't he chris he really does like <laughs> they really, i mean they get high with bill murray they reenact ghostbusters with bill murray they're having a, they're having a great time um with bill murray until columbus does mistake him for a zombie and a really sort of poorly sort of thought out prank uh which is a shame because it would have been great to have bill bill murray along for the ride but even even in his death he manages to sort of coax out some comedy uh when he is asked his last regrets and uh he just says garfield <laughs> yeah so um, obviously bill murray's uh he's, you know it's a bit of a stinker but he um he's obviously done the the fantastic Groundhog Day, which we, we said um, could be an example of the fourth wall coming back to it. In a sense, I guess, yeah, because he um, he realises that everything is repeating on itself, but nobody else is aware of it. And it becomes sort of the in-joke, the sort of dramatic irony with the audience. Yeah, I suppose it's more meta-narrative than, uh, than the fourth wall. But uh, yeah, obviously the two things are linked. Uh, okay, so... We're getting towards the third act, and we haven't mentioned the third act of the film very much, but it, it's very much uh, the, the fairground scene where we have relentless hordes of zombies, which is a, a trope in itself. The film kind of resolves with a, a big shootout at the, the fairground that they're trying to get to. Yeah, we also have the damsels in distress there as well. Yeah, they, they're, quite, they're quite badass, aren't they, to do? There's like these smart talking smart thinking chicks uh, throughout it and then they, they revert to type really and and become you know uh, i think uh, columbus has a heroic turn he be, suddenly becomes a bit more tallahassee is that he adopts the catchphrase of tallahassee at one point he, oh uh, not up or shut up not up or shut up yeah which uh, very much could be the tagline of the film um so yeah we have the the the, the final act um, that ends with the kind of dead horse trope of the damsel in distress. Um, but we've talked enough tropes. We've got our tropes there in, in the in the can. We've got to do the trope storming job of scoring this because that's what we're here for, right? We ain't here for any Twinkies. We ain't here for any messing about in Bill Murray's house or going to fairgrounds. We get into the serious business of trope storming, right? Have we hit the magical four? We have, yeah, I believe. So what have we got, just to recap? We've got the the contrasting action hero and action survivor. Breaking the fourth wall. Breaking the fourth wall. It's a cameo one as well. 
the Bill Murray cameo. And we need to build, like, expand more on cameos in, in and of themselves. Like, we did touch on Judy Dench. I mean, it is probably the only recorded Oscar-winning uh, <laughs> cameo <laughs> of all time. Well, how about that? That's Chris's second trump. Thank you for listening. Because you said about like the characters, the sort of buddy cop element of kind of Columbus and Tallahassee. Talking before about the sort of idea of the sort of quartet having four characters. It's a balance of four types that sort of make it work. The cynic, who is like Wichita, who is like the defrosting ice queen, who starts out as a jerk but ends up having a heart of gold, if you will. That's a nice metaphor. Thank you. You've got the optimist, uh, which in this is kind of Tallahassee. I don't know if he's just optimistic or just gung-ho, basically. He's he's quite happy-go-lucky, isn't he? He's just a rampaging action man in the vein of, like, almost like Stallone or Van Damme or someone like that. Yeah, or Arnie and Commando. Yeah, he's just like a relentless killing machine of zombies. He's, like, in the zombie ass-kicking business and business is good. Nice. The realist, which is Columbus, who, like we said previously, is he's just surviving the apocalypse, basically, isn't he? He's he's purely there on survival against all the odds with his rules. He tempers all of it. He's kind of the, the most in touch with reality, I'd say, out of all of them. Which is why he kind of gives us lessons in how to survive the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. The others probably don't think about it that much. They just sort of do. And then you've got Tallahassee has no rules, it would seem. Well, you know, he he uh, helps to create one of the rules during the film, which is to enjoy the little things. Uh, and then finally, you've got the apathetic, which is Little Rock. Not amoral, I suppose, but because she's quite young, she just sort of breezes through it. She doesn't really seem that phased by everything that's going on around her, and she's she's pretty badass for it. I think she's meant to be 12 in this or something, or 14. And she's just, yeah, she's just pretty kick-ass, doesn't seem phased. I mean, maybe that comes a little bit from sort of being a hustler's sidekick, the sister of a, like, smoking hot, gun-toting sort of con artist. But you've got those sort of core four, the cynic, the optimist, the realist, the apathetic. And these four, this quartet, does crop up quite a lot in other films as a sort of device. So it's in The Incredibles. Violet is the cynic, uh, Bob and Dash are the optimists, Helen is the realist, and Jack-Jack is the apathetic. Uh, Shrek 2, you've got Shrek is the, the cynic, Donkey the optimist, Fiona the realist, Puss in Boots the apathetic. That work, that plays quite nicely. And, and Frozen, if you wanted a more contemporary Disney example, you've got um, Olaf and Anna are the optimists, Kristoff the realist, Elsa's a cynic, and then Hans is the apathetic. So it sort of plays out in a lot of things, like different sort of... It's like a winning formula, basically. And it's not something you'd... You can sort of identify it, because all of the characters, in a way, are almost tropes in and of themselves. Like you've touched on Columbus, the reclusive nerd, Tallahassee, the invincible action man, Wichita, the defrosting ice queen, and then the not-so-innocent child. So, yeah, I guess that would be my sort of, sort of trope is for sort of character archetypes and how they sort of interweave and sort of play off each other and uh, how it works for sort of laughs and sort of function as a unit, even though they don't function as a unit a few times when the girls double cross uh, the chaps. Yeah, so let's, let's start with the end uh, that you just touched upon. 
how do you feel that those archetypes blend and how well do you think the 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 various character archetypes that you described very well hold up i think because this is sort of a subverted sort of comedy zombie horror film it's okay to sort of have fairly stereotypical characters who are in and of themselves you know kind of almost not believable because it kind of adds to the sort of comedy and the humor i mean there's still humanity in this um and they are believable characters but they're sort of stretched believability i mean yes tallahassee i don't know if there's anyone out there who is that much of an absolute badass but i kind of don't really mind it because it's just it's funny and it, it just kind of works and it's enough it's tongue-in-cheek enough but you just don't care because you just swept a bow over fun of it emma stone do no wrong in my eyes because she's gorgeous and i've she's on my laminate list little rock i just every time i see her on screen it's little miss sunshine's gone badass okay i think you're drawing a lot from other films here but yeah we'll uh we'll, we'll go with it i'm projecting a lot yeah um but then that's that's the thing with having like an all-star cast four very strong characters for very recognisable faces who are all at the top of their game. I mean, that, in, its, in a way, brings a lot to the table before they've even done anything. Okay, right. So what we what we're going to give this? Because uh, by the sounds of it, if this film was played straight, this could be a bad thing. But you, you're of the belief that it works because it's trying to highlight what the ridiculous character archetypes and these sort of things are. Yeah, I mean, that that's my take on it. Um, I can look the other way on this one, and it's kind of, you're okay with it, you're on board with it, it's fun. Um, it's not taking itself too seriously, it's not being po-faced, it's not trying to make some sort of social comment, it's just fun. And it kind of works in a sort of slightly, like, bizarre, ridiculous, suspend belief for a minute kind of a way. I'm going to go with you, along with you, and give this a point, a positive point, because I believe, a Brucey bonus, as you said before, I'm going to go along with it because we said the inspiration was 28 days later, and the aim clearly seems to be to subvert and parody a lot of the things in that, plus a lot of other zombie films as well. And it's it's great the way it pans out. Um, You know, Tallahassee is an absolute joy as a character. And it leads it leads me to the the think about the 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 contrasting male characters in particular, as I alluded to as my first trope. Again, uh, what what can be said really other than what we've said before? It it seems to be the case that the basis of this film is the rules and how how you follow them. I think I think so. I think you've got that sort of buddy buddy cop element, haven't you? And they kind of they bounce off each other quite nicely. And they work quite sort of harmoniously as almost opposites. And it's almost you wonder if, like, would one function without the other? And were they kind of a bit lost before they found each other? I mean, Tallahassee's character is completely lost because, you know, there's that, there's that whole sort of flipping on its head. You're like falsely led to believe, but he was really sad that he lost his puppy dog. It turns out he lost his son. And that's why he's so angry, so pissed off, such a sort of isolated, doesn't want to get close to anybody. It only leads to pain. He's lost everything and he's devil may care attitude. Whereas Columbus probably needs someone like him who is very gung ho. Otherwise, ultimately, if he keeps rolling the dice, he's going to get, you know, come up badly because 
there's only so long a character like Columbus can survive being meek and pathetic and overly cautious. Just like there's only so long Tallahassee could probably survive by being so gung-ho and blowing everything up. It's almost like they sort of complete each other like a weird yin-yang dynamic. So nut up or shut up becomes the you know the ultimate moment for them where they, they properly team up. They're a proper duo at that point, a proper partnership. Yeah, it's, it's that bit where they've been screwed over for the second time and uh, Columbus sort of tries to ride off on a motorbike and just crashes into a hedge. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and Asi, like is just like come on let's go sort this out that's kind of like that moment right there where you know they are a duo like they are united and on the same page and I think they both realize they're kind of in it together and they kind of maybe I mean Columbus is definitely sort of looking for almost like a pseudo family in a way but I don't think any of the other characters are um, so he's very happy with teaming up but I think it's more pragmatic um, from Tallahassee. Okay. Well, that seems like a relentless positive. So are we at 2-0? Yeah. How these things sometimes play out. So I guess that brings us on to fourth wall, potentially. Yes. Um, and whether we feel that's been done well. I mean, I, I, I like, I think it's done quite cleverly, but also quite in your face. Like, you do have the visuals, like the text, which is interactive and parodies or sums up what it's trying to encapsulate. Like, cardio is like a beating heart, for example. I, I, I think it kind of adds another, it's not overused. Like we said, if like all the characters, like if it had been a TV series and each character for each episode had had a viewpoint and been the narrator. I, I think it's it's not overused. It's not. I badly used. I think it's, it's it's quite funny. There is an element of foreshadowing to it, and the foreshadowing is quite heavy-handed. But then again, does that work? Because you know, it's playing up to it's it's subverting your expectations, and it's doing it for laughs, and it knows it's doing it. It's parodying. It's you know, referencing other zombie films. It's kind of a lot of familiar territory, but turning on its head. So it's quite inventive in a way. It's not just going to type and just doing what you expect it to do. It's kind of being more playful and inventive. Okay, wow. That's, again, relentless positivity. A lot like the Tallahassee character in the, his relentlessness anyway. I, th- I think the cast lend a lot to this. Jesse Eisenberg as the narrated character, it, it really, it's really convincing the way he, he talks, the narration and the way he talks to the audience it's conveyed really well. And I think that's what, you know, if if there was a lesser cast in this, I think it would, would be problematic. Um, well, that's, that's an interesting point because, uh, just quickly touch on my research, uh, Jamie Bell was originally lined up to play Columbus, and I don't think that would have worked. It would have been awful. Yeah, I, I agree. Of uh, Billy Elliot fame, the greatest cameo of all time, Bill Murray. Uh, shall I just read you off a quick list of people considered for that role? And you can imagine what that, the film would have been like. Okay, yeah. Okay, so uh, Joe Pesci. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, wow, 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 wow. That's, uh, I, I, I don't know how the script would have gone for that. That, you know, that's about as far as from Bill Murray as you can possibly get. Uh, Mark Hamill. Okay, that could have worked. Yeah, could have worked. He's, um, he's the you know he's quite manic as the Joker. He's like quite a versatile, more versatile than you'd think. Yeah, and there could have been a lot of like Star Wars crossover sort of comedy from that. Um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I just love that man. 
Yeah, uh, died alone. And that would have worked. Whatever they did, it would have worked. But the choice, uh, uh, oh, we're still going. I was say, yeah, I've got quite a few. Um, Kevin Bacon. Yes, but I'm sick of seeing him on the, you know, he's just everywhere on these EE ads in this country. So I get that. Yeah, and I totally get that. Um, And I feel the same way with the Coors adverts for Jean-Claude Van Damme, which was another consideration. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. Quite a mix there. Settling on Bill Murray. He's just relentlessly lovable, isn't he? He is. He's kind of almost, uh, I think the British equivalent at the moment for me would be like maybe Bill Nye. Um, I nearly knocked him over once. What, uh, Bill Nighy or Bill Murray? Which Bill are we talking about? Bill Nighy. Oh, okay. The, the more slight of the two, and I'm not, I'm not exactly the, the biggest built of gentlemen, but he's about five foot four, and uh, I'm he's six foot five. Than me. Maybe, maybe. We've finally found. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the hunt is over. The Twinkie. Yeah, I nearly knocked him over. I was coming out of work. I was in a bit of a rush to get back to the office. And I basically nearly shoulder charged Bill Nye and missed him by a matter of inches, uh, which he, is not what you want aware? to do. To, huh? Was he aware that this happened? Well, probably went in a bit of a flash, but I, I didn't want to kill one of my favourite character actors. So he wasn't like, he didn't strike up a conversation and go for a pint or anything? No, because he would have he would have gone straight into the road in Regent Street, which is bad news. You, you, you don't get up from that. You would have been the guy who killed Bill Nye here. That would have been my claim to fame. I mean, you call that a claim to fame. Like, I think you might have to change your name. I mean, just so you, you know, you, you can disappear because you might get a lot of hate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All those Love Actually fans. Exactly. They'll be coming for you. Well, I don't see how we can score that cameo badly. So can it be we've got our first clean sweep? Or was that Rocky? I think Rocky might have been a clean sweep. I don't know. We should probably have like a scoreboard or something somewhere, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, just to have one in our bedrooms. Okay, well, until uh, corrected or pointed out otherwise by our dear listener, let's just call it the first clean sweep. The first zombie clean sweep, at least. It's definitely the first zombie clean sweep. And that is high acclaim indeed in my book. Um, I I think that deserves one of those naff little statuettes that you got when you were uh, playing football as a kid. You know, the one with like a little footballer on top that's like kicking a ball. But it'd be like a, a shuffling zombie. I'm I'm down with that 100. percent So yeah, the, sort, the sort that you get from one of those re- like a key cutting place. <laughs> where you can also get your shoes fixed and stuff. A cobbler's, I think you call them. Timpson. Yeah, it's a Timpson Timpson shield. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that bombshell, a clean sweep for Zombieland. In contrast, we haven't named it yet. We haven't said it. We are in. Zombie Utropia, in contrast Holy, to 28 Days Later. Holy moly, which was a... I mean, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because I would... Zombieland feels a bit more Utropian in that, you know, there is a lot of cars, there's a lot of weaponry, there's still a smoking hot girl around who, if Jesse Eisenberg can get her, I've definitely got a shot. As long as I've got either, like, my potted plant or my antiquated Mac to throw out of a window, I might survive. I'll probably hook up with somebody who is really good at murdering zombies en masse. Whereas in 28 Days Later, oh, it's just relentlessly bleak. And I mean, I just don't think I can drink that much Tizer. <laughs> Twinkies over Tizer all the way. Yeah, so, well, there you go. Um, we've set the world to right with Zombieland. If, uh, if, dear listeners, you agree, you disagree, you have thoughts, opinions... 
you just want to get in touch uh we are on the social medias uh on the twitter sphere we're at trope stormers and on the instagram we are also at trope stormers uh jim as ever can remember the email address and i should really learn it uh trope stormers there's a theme you know uh, trope stormers at gmail.com brilliant cool well I, I guess that kind of just about wraps it up really from us unless there's anything else no thanks for listening um and please like comment and subscribe we could do with a few reviews so if you like this please leave your comments it's always helpful to get constructive feedback um preferably it would be five stars um but if you I'll want to be a, honest i'd take a cheeky four you know I, i'd take a cheeky four let's I've, build got, up. I've got those standards <laughs> The bar is low. As always, as we say here on Trope Stormers. Wacky twatty cricket bat. Bye for now. Take care and stay safe. Bye.